and uh, of worship, but also a time of letting the light of Jesus Christ shine through all of us so that the world can see that God is, is Lord and the uh, keeper of this nation. And I also ask you, Father, to continue to show me the things you want me to see. So when I speak, Master, there will be only those things you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Praise the Lord. We celebrate the knowledge of the first advent during this season as we prepare ourselves for the second advent that's coming. And it's, you know, it's a lot of emphasis on, emphasis, um, on emphasis on this season because of Christmas, but we're looking at it out of a natural fashion, not out of a spiritual opportunity. And so we really don't know when Jesus was born. We're taking this time to celebrate it and how this time came about, I don't know, because if you look at the scriptures, the things is being said, I'll let you know that Jesus wasn't born in the wintertime. Ah, so you gotta read your scriptures to, to be able to accept what I just said. Uh, for one thing, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, which it was prophesied where Jesus was going to be born, uh, to pay taxes and do their taxes which was always done in the spring and early summer, never in the winter. The shepherds were minding the sheep in the field in the summer, not in the winter. That's just a few little things. We'll just put a little down payment on you. I've, I've had known this for quite some time, but you don't hear pastors or theologians speaking anything about that. Now, it really doesn't matter as much as long as we worship the author of the reason for this season and not the season. See, and that's where our problem lies. We're busy shopping, decorating, planning, cooking, and all of that. And there is nothing wrong with that, but it's a lot wrong with it when it's the priority of our worship and our thinking during this time and not that a Savior was born and he was born to die. Had he not been born, he wouldn't have been able to die. And if none of that had happened, we wouldn't be a redeemed, saved people who have an eternal future to look forward to. Amen? Okay. Um, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And at the very beginning of it, a continuation of Paul's exhortation to Timothy. And this is going to be a part one of this because I see I, my intentions was to get through most of two. I got through up to verse seven. <laughs> so there's going to be a continuation of this. Amen. And the title is Be Strong in the Grace of Christ. And I, I, I love that title, but it does need uh, to be explored. Be strong in the grace of Christ. Now, you have to understand what grace means as well as what Christ means in order to understand what Paul is telling uh, Timothy 
and to be strong in, in his grace. Amen. So I'll read the scriptures first and then I'll, we'll come back and discuss it. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to, to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness or hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. T King James wording will have you to miss some things. And that's a good thing that we get to explore the scriptures. Uh, because that, that uh, phrase right there, no man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. So what are you warring against? You're not warring against the things of the world, but the things of the spirit. And if a man also strive for mysteries, I mean masteries, I'm sorry, for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? Mm, okay, so that means if a man also compete for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he, he compete lawfully? The husbandman that labored or the, the farmer. Remember in John 15, and it talks about God being the husbandman, means the one who prepares the ground. Okay. So the farmer that labored must be first partaker of the fruits or the crops. That's a powerful, we're going to come back to that one. Okay. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Well, if you don't even consider what you've heard, you're not going to get an understanding because you're not going to seek to know anything different. It's just something that was said. Okay. But we need to consider all things that comes out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. First of all, grace. It's undeserved acceptance and love received from another. Undeserved acceptance and love received from another. Grace shows up at a time of need, not before and not too late, just like faith. Grace comes to bring relief, ability, pardon, and exhortation. This is why a believer can boldly say at a time of trouble, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's Philippians 4.13. Now listen to what he said. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, which means Christ means the, the power, the anointing, and grace allow you to operate in his power, his anointing, his ability, who strengthens you to do all things. Are y'all with me? The power of Christ works in us to do God's will. That's why it's working. It's not working in you to do natural, um, carnal, worldly things. It's working in you to do the will of the Father and to flow and operate in his way. 
but you have to first submit your way, your will to his way and his will. And at the same time, to reject the way of the world, beginning with the language of the world, the habits of the world, what, what you do, what you watch and crave for. Because all of that gets into your system and your frame of thinking. You don't have to focus on, I want to hold on to this. Let me tell you, anything that does not edify and it brings corrupt communication, you don't have to work at holding on to it. It flows. What you got to work at is the things of good and righteousness and uncorruptible communication. You have to work to hold on to it because the enemy is busy wanting to get that away from you and have you to operate and focus on the foolish things of the world. And that's biblical. Grace is a gift from God and, and a gift from others when one chooses to do something for you, not on the basis that you deserve it, but because they love you or care about your well-being. The world's attitude is, what will I get in return? Oh, uh, now, this is just a favor, this is just a loan, and I am expecting a return on it. You don't deserve it, why should I do it? That's the world's way. However, a believer behaves and operates out of the love of Christ that equips us to do above our flesh. Amen? And so when you use those other kinds of terminologies, you're not, as a believer, you're not acting according to your name. You're acting out of order. Amen? Um, and, and even when, because the Bible tells us when we sow, we reap, any time a believer is doing it for the intent of just reaping, you're still acting like the world. You know you're going to get a return on whatever you're doing, but that's not the motivating factor for why you do what you do. Amen? Okay, so going back to verse 1 when Paul tells him to be strong in the grace of God. So we, we understand what it means is that um, you got to work through Christ who strengthens you and empower you. And so Paul was warning Timothy of the difficulties of the ministry and urges him to be strong because in real ministry, there are going to be difficulties. There are going to be great struggles. If you're not having that, then you guess who's being pleased in what you're doing? Satan. Because if God is being pleased, Satan is unhappy, and he's doing everything he can to bring interference. And you're also, the carnal people are rejecting everything that you're bringing forth because they don't want to hear it. Because the truth is convicting. And so when we hear the truth, we are convicted by the truth. And, and so your reaction should not to be angry by the conviction, but to, to repent and confess and turn around. Because that's what repent means, to turn around. So you turn away from evil and turn towards the Lord. Okay? So he's, he's, he's telling them, 
to remain in God's grace. That's what Paul is telling Timothy, to remain in God's grace. And that way he'll be able to stay strong and not to be overcome by the work of the ministry and the people that you have to deal with. Amen. Now, in verse 2, he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul is letting Timothy to know it isn't enough to know and to teach, but one must make sure there are at least someone who, who they have prepared and are competent enough to lead and teach others. When you go over to Ephesians 4 and it talks about why there are some apostles, pastors, teachers, da 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 da, da okay, it tells you for the perfecting and the equipping of the saints. Amen. And so you're, you're not doing this but to help prepare. All right. Good leaders or management people are involved. They are not sitting up like a peacock being waited on and, and, and receiving all the time and doing nothing but collecting a pay. They get in the trenches and they work, okay? You, you don't get to sit behind a desk and look important. Well, you may be doing it, but a whole lot is failing as a result of it. Good management have no problem rolling up their sleeves and kicking in to do the work when necessary. They are always aware of what's going on and preparing their people or staff to be knowledgeable of all things and humble enough to admit what they don't know and willing to be trained by a qualified staff person. That's good management. Now, this thought is not just coming from my spiritual experience by working as a pastor, but before then when I worked uh, in the world, I was always in management. So I learned how to treat people and, and, and how to know that if I want to shine and I want my department to do well, then I humble myself to help out and not be so high and mighty like I know. I'm not in this position because I know everything. And there's always somebody that knows something, something more than I know. Plus, you don't know, you don't specify in every situation because you are a leader. Your specifications is just where God has anointed you with your talents and your gifts. There are other people who have specifications that is beyond yours that you need to surrender and submit to what they know to help you so you can look good as a manager or an overseer. This produces a more effectual, well-organized company or organization, and in this case, church, that will continue to go on. The business of church cannot go on and definitely will not flourish if people are not learning and growing, which is called discipleship. Amen? Okay, let's go over to Matthew 28, 
and, and, and uh, see what Matthew has to say about this. This is why we're having so many problems in, um, in the church. And, and, and the leaders of it, the pastors, apostles, bishops, whatever, of the, of, of the church uh, is not the only problem. It's the people in the church that um, want to put them on such high pedestals. And when, in fact, at the beginning of Timothy, we learn we're no more but servants. Amen. Okay, so Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, I want to focus on. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, You know what, when I read that verse, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It made me think about the church of today. We got people who are worshiping, but they're operating in doubt, and they're not operating in faith. And let me tell you, when we talk about having faith, it is not just about spiritual things. It's having faith about natural things and ability that you need to have that God is going to do the equipping. So your faith is not about church things alone. It's about your life. God is concerned about every aspect of a human being. Amen. And we limit ourselves as to what we can do based on what we think we can do, not on what God can do in and through us. Okay. So 18 said, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, he spoke this because he saw that they were limited in faith and understanding. And he says, all power. And another word for that is authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Glory. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, Jesus says, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. He's not talking about no water baptism. He talk, he's talking about indoctrinate them in who the Father is, the Son is, and the Holy Spirit. So they are well informed. And, and, and that teaching here means disciple them. So it doesn't end with the speaking. It continues on and on and on. Faith cometh by hearing and then by the things that you do to help people to rise above the level that they are. And he says, you want to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. They're going to follow what you're doing because you have come to know and to do what is expected from me. And I want you to... In other words, make them Stefford wives <laughs> when it comes to the ministry. <laughs> Only. <laughs> okay. He says, and, and, and no, don't fret and don't worry, regardless of how it goes, because no, I'm with you. I will always be with you until the end of the world. So, our main purpose in life is to make disciples. It goes far beyond evangelism. 
See, that's my passion is to disciple people. Somebody else have a passion to get them. But my passion is to dis disciple people. I want you so grounded and rooted in the foundation of your faith that you won't fall away and you will pass it on to somebody else and so on and so on and so on. And this is how the church continues to flow and to go. Christianity today is not flowing the way it needs to be flowing because the churches are about the wrong thing and not about discipling saints. Ministry is not for a leader or presenter to shine and look good. It is for the equipping of the saints. Otherwise, no one will look good and do good. And the church will not survive. Because in Ephesians 4, it says, in order for us to come into that perfect picture, everyone has got to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. Not no one person. Everyone has got to be doing it for perfection to show up. It is about saving souls at all costs and not about large, unequipped congregations. We, the body of Christ, is in trouble now spiritually because we are consume and only concern about numbers of people and dollars with no trust in the Lord and just doing the work of the ministry. Now, when I tell you that we are in spiritual trouble, let me tell you what is going on in our world today is the result of what's not going on in our churches today. Okay? And when we pattern life after what worldly people are saying, we're in trouble. We have a higher kingdom. And we have a master who's never going anywhere. And he value faith and trust above all else. And when you put your trust in him, not in faith, not faith in faith, but faith in him. Because when you have faith in him, and you are definitely the minority in walking in this particular area, you go in fear and trembling, but you go. And because you honor what God has said, he shows himself strong in you for others to see him through you. So, when you step out of the box and you do what thus says the Lord and not what the majority of the world is doing, that allow your, sir, your Lord, your Savior, your Master to shine. Well, okay, you don't hear the word Master often because you know why? A Master, you follow his every lead. You don't just do some of the things he said. That's why we can't call him Master. Because if it's not, don't make any sense, and if it's not going to work, mm, I don't know. Okay? Well, you operate blindly when you follow a master. Because you're following his lead. Hallelujah, Jesus. And, and, and since he is our father who art in heaven, why not follow that master? You following the masters you put on earth? Okay, let's go over to Matthew 6. I'd rather 
put my trust in him and take my chances than to trust what society is saying and then bust hell wide open. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, uh, and, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 34, okay? And we all know that this is Jesus speaking because it's in red. <laughs> okay. It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doeth corrupt. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Ruin. The treasures of earth will be ruined. Okay? And where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doeth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, that there will be your heart also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you spend the greater time focusing on, that's where your heart is, okay? The light of the body or the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, oh, okay, so what do you mean by single, Lord? Healthy. (laughs) When it says be single-minded, healthy, not double-minded. A double-minded man, says the Bible, is unstable in all his ways. But when you're single-minded, that means you're keeping your focus on Jesus Christ. You don't matter what they say on the left or the right. Straight on the Lord, okay? So you have a healthy mindset, and you're not pulled in every different direction, okay? It says, um, the light of the body, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, healthy, thy whole body should be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, which is unhealthy, thy whole body should be full of darkness. Oh, glory, I just had a thought. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Lord, heal our minds and our hearts today so our health will be whole in the name of Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is thy darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot treat two masters same identical way. Why? Because you're double-minded, and you're going to be flip-flopping. This this master is speaking a good thing today. And later on, the other master is speaking good. So, you know, you know what? When you say, well, it depends on how I'm feeling. You're serving two masters. You're flip-flopping. Nothing depends on how you feel. It all depends on what is the truth. Because sometimes, no, you don't feel like it. No, you are not feeling good. But when you press because you're seeking after the truth and after the light and you press and go through, you find out you feel fine. You 
I have improved. You don't hurt anymore. You don't feel the pain or the disgust or whatever. That's why you don't follow emotions that are fickle and they go back and forth. But you follow the truth that will lead you in the path of righteousness for God's namesake. Okay, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and riches. Now, when you hear that word, riches, your mind is thinking, well, I'm not rich, so that don't apply to me. It, it applies to you even more so because you're too busy trying to gain money. Riches means your focus is on money and natural things. Doesn't mean you got to be a Bill Gates. Because you, you, your first thought is what you need to have and what you got to get. Okay, let me finish reading because I'm getting ahead of myself because the scripture going to tell you why that ain't necessary. 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Mm, 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 mm. And others, like we said in Philipp, uh, Paul said in Philippians, don't worry, don't be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, through prayer and supplication, give it to the Lord, okay? So it says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you should drink, nor yet for your body what you should put on. Is not the life more than the meat, more than the food? Is your life more greater than the food that you're going to eat? The body than the remnant or the clothes? Is your body more important to the Lord than what you put on it? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statue? <laughs> you, you can't add not one inch to your height. But you let Satan keep messing with you, you can decrease your height. <laughs> and why take ye thought for a remnant or clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all that I graced him with, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. He was not even clothed like, and God gave him fine clothing and everything because Solomon had enough sense to when God asks, says, what do you want? I'll give it to you. And he says, give me wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, then God gave him wealth and riches. Because when he asked for wisdom, he was asking for God. Wisdom comes from above, not from below. So he was asking for God himself. And, and God says, you ask, since you want me, I'm going to give you everything that you need. Hallelujah. Jesus. You know what? When I first uh, learned of that, because when I first got saved, I don't know why I felt a need to read the Old Testament. <laughs> but um, reading that, I remember uh, in prayer one morning, and I, I said, God, give me wisdom like you gave to Solomon and all the rest of the stuff I can get. So I had forgotten about that until 
some person says, you think you have all the answers. And I said, no, I don't have all the answers, but when I know I'm right, I'm going to speak it. But then afterwards, and I was thinking, I'm like, well, I probably do have a lot of answers. Because I asked from the man of wisdom to give me wisdom. So I know a whole lot more than you think I know or what you think I should know. Because my master takes care of me and feed me what I need to know. He says, 30, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is to and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So he's like, if he clothes the grass that can die the next day and, and, and be destroyed, well, how much more is he going to put on us? Amen. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or whether with whether shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now he's using that term as unbelievers. These are people who don't know me. That's how what they seek after. For your heavenly father knoweth what you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what did that mean? Seek you for what God wants to be done here on earth as it is in heaven and seek his way to be righteous, holy people like him. And then all the things that you want and need will be added unto you. Now, the things that you, when you're seeking God first and foremost, and that's what your life is all about, then the things that you want are in line with what he wants for you. It's no longer thoughts of selfishness coming out of a fleshy mold. It's coming from a spiritual mindset. So that's why he's going to give you the things that you want, but he's definitely going to give you what you need. Amen. He says, take therefore no thought for morrow, for the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Oh, wow. In other words, tomorrow's going to bring his own troubles. You don't even have to fret about that. You just keep your mind on me so you can get beyond them. <laughs> okay? So, Therefore, the things that we got our mindset on and fretting and worrying over, it's actually a sin. Because God said, don't be anxious for nothing and, and, and don't be doing all that planning. Keep your mind on me so you don't be in and out, up and down. But you will operate consistently. I keep saying, in order to overpower what the enemy is trying to do in your life, you have to be consistent. So you consistently have a prayer life. You consistently praise and worship him. You consistently attend Bible study classes. You consistently come to church services and be fed. Consistently, not pop in and out and then expect God to do great wonders for you. Why are we expecting more from him than we're willing to do for him? We want him to do everything, but we're not going to put ourselves out for anything. Okay, back over to Timothy, because in, I'm going to just combine all his other three to seven. Paul is telling him in, to endure hardship, but he starts in first, verse three. Endure hardship. Suffer, be ready to suffer afflictions. 
Paul illustrates this by using a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, all who have to endure hardships. If a soldier is on the battlefield and he has put himself out there to die for the cause, an athlete can only go so far in his natural ability so they have to press through to keep going. When, when, when you know when you're about to faint, you, you get muscle cramps and all of that because you have gone beyond your body capacity. In order to get further than that, they have to go into their mind and press and stay focused and press against the pain, the discomfort and everything else. A farmer, the same thing because they're going, he's going up against nature, whether his crops are gonna do well or not but he has to do what he has to do. So you have to be willing to work and do lots of it and to be involved beyond what's convenient and comfortable for you. When we take the attitude that I will not do anything outside of my convenience, we are not serving Christ but having a church experience. You come when it's convenient. This is the, I'm talking about an attitude of a person who's not serving Christ, but serving themselves. Not doing any labor. I have to take care of my own home. Only what I feel like doing. My time is valuable. I have a life. And then, then those who are committed to the church don't have a life. They have a better life than you have because they've given it, given it totally over to Christ. My way or the highway? So if it ain't convenient for me, see ya. I am not coming here to teach, preach, or whatever for one or two people. Fruit isn't produced without working the ground. And you have to work the ground even if nobody shows up. Ministry isn't easy. It is total commitment and submission to the Lord. It's all about serving, and it's time-consuming, and, and a lot of times it is inconvenient. But the reward is far greater than anything we will ever experience on earth. And of course, earthly things are not lasting. However, sacrifice and obedience to God will provide better results even in our earthly endeavors. When you put uh, your career and everything else above church and what you're supposed to do because you are focused. <laughs> you just set yourself up for some trouble. Focus on Jesus. And he'll work the rest out. Make him first and foremost. He'll get you through. I just don't even understand how believers, and now unbelievers, I expect that out of them, but how believers come to that kind of conclusion that I got this to do and, 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 and all of this, and, 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 and God understands. Do you realize what you're saying when you say that? I really don't care about what God has said. And he's going to have to accept me the way I bring it. Otherwise, he don't get it. Do you realize this? That's what we're really saying. 
What are you talking about God understand? Understand what? That you a fool for even making that statement? I would be fear and trembling. God, forgive me and help my weakness. I would like to do better, but I'm struggling. So help me to rise above my weaknesses. Because none of us are strong enough to do anything. It is the grace of God that works through us. Why? Because you made up your mind. If you don't say yes and make up your mind, then it's not going to happen. Just like when Paul was talking about the athlete. The athlete is only able to do because they made up their mind and says, I'm going through to the finish. And they press and push. And because you've made up your mind, the Holy Spirit then comes in and propels you to do what you can't do in the flesh. Because you said yes to his will, yes to his ways, he comes in and equips you with his grace to do what you can't do ordinarily. Including to stay away from the sin that so entangles you that you are deceived and in darkness and don't even realize you are living and walking in sin. Religion is ritual formatted. You do things out of a format, not out of a desire. It's self-observed and fruitless. Religion. Spirituality causes effects, results, and rewards, and the greatest one is in eternity in heaven. Don't be surprised if and when you get to heaven that you may not see many preachers and church members that you've known. Because your name is on the roster and you show up sometimes at church, don't make you a heaven candidate. It's how we choose to live our lives for Christ and that will keep us faithful on the field, working and striving to get where we need to go in Christ. We're not doing him a favor. We're doing ourselves a favor. Because even when we praise and we worship him, you think you're doing God a favor? When praises goes up, blessings come down. When worship goes up, deliverance and healing comes forth. Whatever we do for Christ, it's for, it's, it is for us. It is not for him. It is just the way to get heaven's windows to open up to bless us. And we're too sorry to even do that. We're too prideful to even do that. We're too lazy to even do that. And all it takes is a hunger and thirst for righteousness to praise the Lord and to, and to worship him. Because when you're, when you're praising him, you're saying things about his resume what he can do that in, in, that gives him the ability to say i am when you praise him the i am shows up and show you i was there before you got there paving the way for you to get there and when you're worshiping him it's because you're so overwhelmed 
over what he has done through the praise that caused you to be obedient. Because see, when you praise him and his resume shows up, it equips you to do what you can't do in the natural or what you emotionally are not fit to do. And so when you see that, it, it, it empowers you and it charges you up to like, oh my God, to really worship him. Because you watch him bring you through some stuff that you know only he could have brought you through it. And will take you through even greater. Because any time when your faith is elevated, when God brings us through a hard time, get prepared because the next challenge is going to be greater. So don't be sitting back wondering about, oh, here I go. Uh, why I have to go through this? Because you're a believer. And a believer lives by faith and not by sight. And so we have to trust him. And when it's hard uh, for you dealing with a new challenge, that's when your sisters and brothers are supposed to rally around you and give you encouraging statements out of the Bible to give you the strength to keep on going on, going on, because there's no super saint. That's why we need to be here in our churches rallying together because sometimes you don't even have to tell a person that you're going through. And they don't have a clue, but God put something in their mouths to speak to you that is appropriate for the time. That's why we're, we, we don't come here to be shucking and jiving and fooling around. Come here to be used by the power of God, the Holy Spirit working through us, speaking through us, loving through us, caring through us. That's the whole intent of being a follower. A follower is a disciple of Christ. A follower of Christ, not a church member. Because I am a disciple and a follower of Christ, I faithfully attend service. I'm not a visitor. And I'm not a Gentile. I'm in covenant relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when I come in his presence, I'm concerned about how I appear to him. So I don't come any old way and thinking he needs to be happy because I showed up. Amen. Thank you. It's, it's food for thought. And it's time to think. Even if you've said the sinner's prayer and, and feel that you've given your life to the Lord. In remembrance of this Advent season, it certainly don't hope as you do it in a search and realize there's some things that need to change in you. Some things that you need to let go and release in order for God to do the greater in you. So it's time to recommit your heart to the Lord and just ask the Father show you, shine the light on those hidden areas that I refuse to look at I've been too selfish and arrogant to even think they even exist Father forgive me I open myself to you Lord and I ask you to Reveal those things to me so that I can freely confess them to you and be released of them, and then you can cleanse me from all unrighteousness. 
I'm sorry for my arrogance. I'm sorry for being double-minded. I'm, I'm sorry for spending more time doing natural things and less time being spiritual. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for the foolish things I've spoken that brings no edification to anyone, but it also just hurts your ears to hear and it quenches your spirit from operating in my life. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And I come to recommit my heart, my mind, my soul to you so that you can work through me and find me to be a faithful servant and serve Jesus with all of me so that according to his word I can go therefore to all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and telling them all of the things that you have given to me knowing that you are with me and I can let them know you will be with them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The benediction. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and the Holy Spirit burn this word into your spirit so that you will walk in it and not just be a hearer of the word but a doer of the word. I pray for traveling mercies as you leave this place, and don't forget to tell somebody about Jesus. Amen.